0: Come on and join me on the B-side When movie stars that weren't in their prime made all the movies that got left behind That got them covered on the B-side You're gonna like it on the B-side Cause you got Dan and Carter by your side Throwing your knowledge from the inside And now you're listening to the B-side
1: Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the B-Side Podcast for the film stage. As always, I am Dan Mecca. And as you well know, we talk about movie stars and not the movies that made them famous or kept them famous, but the ones that they made
0: in between. Connor, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm great. I'm feeling I'm feeling sassy and sexy today. No, I know.
1: Very early 90s. Yeah. A lot of, lot of gauche I've got things a running sweater. around.
0: I've got a deep V-neck sweater on <laughs> with nothing underneath it. Um, a lot
1: of... Uh, a lot of pent-up energy, yes. Caruso style. All right, so this is a very fun episode. Karina Longworth is our guest, creator of You Must Remember This. If you listen to this show, you certainly listen to You Must Remember This uh, with the new season coming up, Erotic 90s. Uh, Karina, thanks so much for coming on to talk about a couple of Erotic 90s B-sides with us. How are you?
2: I'm good. Thanks for having me.
1: The three movies we're going to kind of focus on, which, I, you know, Karina, you kind of they're all you know they're all within the confines of, of your new season we're going to kind of hit on sliver boxing helena and jade right which are all kind of you know b-sides in their own ways and i think in a lot of ways represent almost kind of the beginning of the end of the very kind of potent you know you know uh, that type of thriller right so so but before we jump into that can you just tell us a little bit about about the new about the new season coming up
2: yeah. Well, I, I last year I did a season called Erotic 90s, which was – or sorry, Erotic 80s, yeah. um, which is about sex in Hollywood movies in the 80s. And now I'm doing Erotic 90s, which is about sex in Hollywood movies in the 90s. And I was always part of the plan to kind of do both seasons and sort of work towards um, – Uh, Eyes Wide Shut in 1999 Mm -hmm. and then just kind of talk about the 20 years before that and try to understand why it is that I think that Eyes Wide Shut is kind of the end of everything.
1: No, and that's I think right. Of course, I mean, that's because Eyes Wide Shut's 99. Right. Of course, it comes out, you know, at the time we had um, Bilga Beery came on our show a couple years ago now, right, Connor, to yeah, talk about yeah. that movie in the context, more of it being Stanley Kubrick's last film and what have you. And we did talk about it, and I'm sure we don't want to dive too much into it because I'm sure you'll well cover it in, in, in the new season, but just the the reclamation of that movie is so interesting when you remember how disparaged upon that movie was uh, when it came out in
2: 1999. Yeah, I mean, it's totally insane that it was nominated for zero Oscars. and I know. Um, yeah, it was really... and. You know, expectations had been very high and then the response was very low.
1: Yeah. And I, and I even, I mean, we talked about it with Bilka. Like, I remember, you know, because I love Tom Cruise, you know, like anybody my age, you know, at that time. And I even remember like my mom. Being like, well, I guess we're not gonna see that one, right? And like, she loved Tom Cruise, (laughs) and it that like shocking me just because you know we would she would see everything you know that he was in. But anyway, how does it's weird to start on Sliver? I'll just be honest, right, Connor? Because it's like (laughs) I guess you know what? Let's start with because Basic Instinct is definitely one of the linchpins in your new season, right? Which we were lucky enough to get to listen to a few episodes. We're very appreciative of, and obviously. Basic instinct, of course, is so important to kind of the entirety of the subject, right? Would you say, isn't it, is it not, it's got to be the biggest inflection point for this kind of subgenre, right? I, I can't think I of anything say, else. I, I
0: would say maybe post-fatal attraction, yeah, right? Like, it's kind of like the... Well,
2: just in terms of worldwide box office, basic instinct is higher. Yeah. And for me, it's kind of like, it's like the very top of the mountain in terms of Um, Pop culture's appetite For this kind of stuff Sure And then it's kind of All downhill from there (laughs) Yeah and to
1: that point And we don't need We don't need to jump Into Sliver right, right now But it makes Sliver Really interesting In that context Just because it's It's Sharon Stone it's, you know, it's still Esther Haas uh, writing this, Joe Esther House writing the screenplay. And it's right after, right, Basic Instinct, which is just an interesting, but very different too, which I think I kind of had forgotten in that respect how different her character is in Sliver. But anyway, Basic Instinct, yeah, I rewatched it. And I also watched for the first time Basic Instinct 2. Oh, which, which, risk, cr- addiction. Oh, risk Addiction. Risk <laughs> Addiction, which I love how now they've done they've gone full live uh what's it live die repeat with it where like when you look it up it's like oh yeah it was always called risk addiction and you're like that's not true but um (laughs) but you make a great point um in your your basic instinct episode where you talk about how it's funny to to watch the sequel because it's not so different from right it's Michael Caton Jones directed it it's not you know he's very solid director right Sharon Stone's doing her thing she's you know kind of, you know owning the screen as per usual you know especially you know place playing a uh, Catherine Tremel, and yet it just feels like a movie out of time right it just literally feels like basic instinct really captured the moment and like you said almost it never came back right the moment kind of never came back in a way
2: yeah, I mean, it, you, I I say something like, people, nobody made a million, do- nobody made millions of dollars trying to replicate the success of Basic Instinct, because everybody who tried failed, and it turned, you know, it was sort of proven to be unreplicable. And some of that has to do with the specific moment in time. Some of it has to do with the alchemy of the stars. I think a lot of it has to do with this sort of. Um, unique tension between the screenwriter, Joe Esterhaas, and the director, Paul Verhoeven. And when they tried to reteam again, they made Showgirls, um, which I like a lot, but, you know, obviously was extremely unpopular when it was released in 1995.
0: Not unlike Eyes Wide Shut has undergone its own sort of significant reclamation, right? I feel like. Right. Um, Probably because of what you're talking about, I feel like, like, I think people just look at that alchemy and they're like, you know, they made another one. And like, I think, I think it just kind of, uh, I think showgirls just sort of fascinates people. Um, but the- Yeah, I mean, I, I was struck with,
1: I mean, we don't, we're not going to dive into Basic Instinct 2, but I was certainly struck by like, I, I guess in my head, it was a debacle of Epic Proportions- and it was i mean it was right it, it, i think it cost 70 million you know i think it made th- like 38 worldwide right i mean it was very much like people were like no, we are good, right? But, but as a film on its own, right? You know, finances aside, it's very much like, okay, I see what they're trying to do here, right? I think it's even more absurd than the first one in a lot of respects in terms of the twistiness and whatever. But, but anyway, just bringing it back to Esther House, who obviously he didn't have anything to do with Basic Instinct 2. But yeah, Showgirls, that's yeah, Verhoeven and him getting back together, kind of like you were saying, reclaim now to some degree, but you know hated at the time really kind of ended in a lot of ways ended Esther house's career he writes telling lies in America after that and he does that burn hollywood burn movie but he kind of hasn't done anything since so it's really the poster you know the poster person for that whole moment right he kind of also fades away which i think is super interesting um I, I, will I mean, say, he
2: he did yeah. publish like an 800-page memoir.
1: <laughs> That's true. That's true. Which I I have to say, you you obviously reference in, in in your in your episode, and I I say sadly have not read it yet. Would you recommend reading it? The, his 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 memoir, or it's quite. <laughs> Fantastical, right? I
2: don't know about Fantastical. I mean, he certainly has a point of view on things that doesn't always match other people's point of view on them. Right. Um, You know, I think if you're a super fan of his movies or you're fascinated by him and like sort of what he pulled off when he was able to pull it off and or his grand downfall, it is fascinating. And there's like large sections of it where he publishes the diary of Naomi, who is the woman he left his wife for Mm -hmm. after... Her husband left her for um, Sharon Stone. So that's one of the reasons why it's 800 pages long.
1: Oh my gosh, right. Yeah, I guess that's the wrong word, fantastic. I guess he's, to hear him tell it, he's lived quite a life. And so I think. Yeah.
2: I mean, he's, a, you know, World War II refugee, certainly. I mean, it's not exactly the same as Polanski. As far as I know, he hasn't committed the crimes that Polanski has been accused of. But, sure. you know, there's something similar in terms of like coming out of really devastating trauma and then having this kind of larger than life Hollywood life. Right. right. Um, so, yeah. And, you know, now he's like I think he lives in Ohio and is has embraced the Hungarian dictator Viktor Orban. So
1: oh, there he is. Great times. Yeah. All right, Joe. <laughs> Joe's okay, his thing. Right. <laughs> well he's in Ohio, so I guess, yeah. you know, there I mean he's he, there are other people he can enjoy that type of uh, you know, that type of thing with. Um okay, so Sliver, we can kind of jump into Sliver. So it's interesting, right? So Sliver comes out. It's what is it? Almost exactly two years after base. Or no, no, the year it's after. It's a year. The year That's about after. A year. Wow. Yeah. yeah. My God. So Philip Noyce directs it. And I love Philip Noyce's kind of recollection of it is kind of very like, yeah, look, Joe Asterhaus was a big screenwriter. Seemed like the, you know, an interesting thing to take. Didn't
0: really work out. <laughs> you no, know, it, it's it like, feels legitimately, we, we don't often, you know, as much as we cover what we call B sides, They're they're not always in this fashion where Sliver does feel literally like the basic instinct b-side you know like right like just the like you mentioned before dan like the Esther house that gets carried over and sharon stone that gets carried over and you know uh in your episode on basic instinct karina you mention you know you call basic instinct the uh it's it you know the reason it works is because it's camp vertigo right Mm -hmm. and i feel like part of the reason everything that comes after it doesn't work is that I feel like they try and it's like trying to capture that lightning it's in like a bottle window yeah, exactly or and that's yeah, and that's yeah, sort yeah. of what sliver is to a degree but like not as good as de palma does it right like right. Can, not, not body double, not yeah. body double right and so it is this interesting thing of just trying to really like figure out a formula to it um I guess just quick plot to sliver oof, oof, I, the quick that is so ambitious to say <laughs> no, 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 just, quick just man. real quick so Sharon Stone <laughs> Sharon Stone uh, plays Carly Norris who's a book editor uh in New York. It is New York, right? I believe. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Um,
2: and I mean, it's Paramount, New York. Right. Yeah. That's what I, I was going to yeah, say. I,
0: part a, of it. it's like there's like one scene that definitely feels like Central Park and then everything else is a little suspicious. But um, <laughs> but basically she's a book editor who moves into a high rise building after the previous tenant in her apartment has supposedly thrown herself off the balcony right and in this building there is a kind of high-tech peeping tom who's keeping tabs on everything who also owns the building who also owns the building zeke and in these in in sort of (laughs) her interactions with people in the building one of them being zeke played by billy baldwin another being uh tom berenger who's jack lansford who's kind of like a who would you compare him to? He's not like a Stephen King. He's like a he's, like a James Patterson. Yeah. Right? Thank like, you. Yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. He, like a like an airport paperback kind of author, basically. Yeah. He's like um, yeah yeah. And uh, and and what
1: I like is he's basically doing a sequel to his own character from looking for mr goodbar which is is its own kind of weird i don't even know how to describe how Um, strange that sentence is but
0: yeah basically it's 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 carly kind of trying to figure through who this you know mysterious person might be that's the peeping tom slash what really happened to the previous tenant and and whether or not you know some murder was involved and all sorts of things and it A lot of red herrings. A lot of red herrings, similar to Basic Instinct. A lot of like little avenues it forces you to chase down. But what's interesting,
1: and Karina, because I know you, you, you obviously cover cover this movie uh, quite a bit. Maybe this is just an in to talk about it. This movie is somewhat famous, I suppose, because they changed the ending as part of a protracted battle for an R rating. Um, So
2: that's not exactly Is that not true? true. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. Please tell me. First of all, just one plot thing that I want to clear up is that she doesn't know there is a Peeping Tom until. The peeping tom invites her into his video lair. Sure, <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> um, so
0: we do, though any, we are aware. Yeah, that We do, a, yeah. we do.
2: She doesn't know, um, but yeah. So there, there was definitely a battle with the MPAA, but um, and there were a lot of reshoots. But there's sort of two different issues. Um, mm. the uh, The movie was sort of already in progress when Sherry Lansing took over Paramount, mm. and she um, was kind of trying to rush th- movies through post-production, giving directors much less time than they were used to because she really wanted to like have a lot of movies in release because the guy she was taking over from had kind of dropped the ball on setting up movies for release. So the... Philip Noyce really didn't have time to finish this movie, and then he was confronted with these two issues, which was um, the MPAA giving it an NC-17, mostly because of um, what was deemed to be "quote unquote" aberrant sex. Um, mm-hmm. So it's like these sex scenes where it's not like a man on top of a woman; they're sort of doing it in more creative ways. Mm. And um, and then the other thing is that the original ending, um, which was the kind of like this crazy thing where like they were going to Sharon Stone and William Baldwin were going to fly into a volcano together, um, which is, you you know, sort of teased by a line of dialogue earlier in the film. And actually when they were shooting that, um, they weren't the actors weren't there. They were just shooting plates of the volcano. The volcano, the helicopter crashed into the volcano and all three people inside went missing for two days.
1: Oh Um,
2: But they managed to get the footage and make the ending. But test audiences hated it. And so Joe Haas wrote 40 new pages in like 24 hours because cocaine. Sure. And um, then they it was that I guess across those 40 pages, there was three different endings and they shot them all. And then they kind of like figured it out in the editing room. Um, so, right. okay. OK, like I I don't know. I really like sliver. I, I mean, I think you were saying that it's sort of like, you know, C minus Rear window But I actually think of it As like 90's Gaslight
1: Oh Um, That's interesting Sure 90's Gaslight Yeah Yeah. So
2: I really like it I mean I you know it ends on a very 90s moment yes <laughs> and, oh, the and ending it, you know is so and maybe it's great. not like as poetic as it could be um <laughs> but i saw this movie in the theater at least twice you know sneaking in as a 12 year old oh wow and okay. it was incredibly satisfying
1: and it was it was it was a hit basically i think it was right and you can correct me here Karina, if i'm, if I'm wrong here but from what I read, I, I I think it was a disappointment because it wasn't Basic Instinct, but I think the numbers suggest it did make people I mean, money. It made right? over hundred million dollars. Or would you so, or would you yeah. say well, that's not right? Yeah, what do I you would. Think? I
2: would just be a little bit more specific, which is that it was a hit internationally.
1: Mm. Yeah, um, true. It's
2: it wasn't considered a hit in the U.S. It had right. kind of a good opening weekend. Um, but one thing about it is that it had this huge blockbuster soundtrack. Um, that really outlived the movie. So um, it had the UB40 cover of I Can't Help Falling yeah, in Love. Yeah, <laughs> right now. And yeah. it had the, the, sh- <laughs> yeah. the first shaggy single, Oh Carolina. Ooh, and these sure. were like these massive singles. So the Sliver soundtrack was kind of in the consciousness. Um, before or longer than the movie was, and I think I still think it's kind of a good soundtrack. <laughs> there's yeah, like Massive a verb Attack. song on it, yeah.
1: Yeah, there's the unfinished sympathy by Massive Attack is on here. Oh wow, yeah, this is interesting. I'm just looking at the track listing. Um,
0: we should say it won the MTV Movie Award for uh, Most Desirable Male for Billy William Baldwin. Baldwin. William Baldwin. Look, I
2: mean, d- can you cite a movie in which Billy Baldwin looks better? That's yeah. A, so, I, I mean, that's a, so this fair, is interesting. This is fair point.
1: Peak, peak Billy Baldwin. <laughs> well, that's a fair well, point. Well, okay. So that's interesting because I, I would, I would, my counter to you, though, I'm not really disagreeing because I think you're right. I think he looks great in Fair Game. Sure, with, and he looks with, good in
2: Flatliners too. But yeah, but you're you know, thinking this, this is, is like, peak. This is this peak. This is. I mean, this is like. Also, and a lot of the pre-release publicity for this movie was like, "This is a movie in which you're going to see Billy Baldwin's penis," and you obviously don't. I mean, that no, was one of the things no. that got on the cutting room floor when they um, were trying to turn it into an R-rated movie. But apparently, he was really committed to being extremely naked, and you—I think all you end up seeing is a little butt. But yeah, um, you get some Baldwin touch. You know, yeah. he committed.
1: He does He does deliver, I think, maybe one of the best lines I've ever heard in a movie. Me and Connor were talking about this. With such conviction, God bless him, he says, everybody has a telescope, <laughs> which I just think is, is very emblematic well, of this movie. And look, here's it the thing. Feels, I, that feels like an
0: Haas yeah. thing, right? Because like, sure. I feel like there are things in basic instinct that operate the same way. And, well, and granted i think it's feel, also a yeah. genre thing but like where yeah, i was gonna say where it's just kind of like look there's gonna be this device that we put in here and we're just gonna tell you that it's okay and it makes sense and you're just gonna buy it right and they don't there's not really a lot of legwork to decide why or how that works or whatever and they just kind of like are like yeah sure like everyone has is well, i think one well, i
1: was thinking about this watching all these films and and i think it's just interesting to to kind of just reflect on maybe and and Karina, I'm sure you can speak to this, but, but like, you know, we were talking to uh, hmm. uh, Mark Pellington came on our show a few months ago to talk oh, about cool. uh, his, he had the nuke that new cut of going all the way. So, so he was kind of talking about that, which was a, a kind of a really interesting new version of that movie, if you know it. And, and um, uh-huh. we were talking to him about his films and what have you. And Arlington road came up and the word I was using to describe a lot of what he's done is he's very maximalist, right? Like he's very kind of like, I'm going to like, you know, I'm going to do the most I can because I can and I want to. And I think it will be very interesting. Right. And like, there's like a whole jalo ending scenario part of Arlington road, right. Where like everything's red. Right. And everything's like, it's almost like uh there's this like macabre, Bacchanal thing happening, but it's not really that. But it feel you know, it's like very strange. But that movie's very interesting, and I think he does a lot of really cool things in that space. And I feel like with a lot of these movies, right? These specifically, these four, we're kind of focusing on. Everything's so maximalist, right? Everything's there's so much happening, right? It's everything's in right in your face, and it's. I do miss it, right? Like I think, I I, I didn't love Sliver, you know, but I do find myself missing the slivers yeah. if that makes sense you know what i mean like and the closest thing what did you what's the closest thing now that you get to that right maybe like that show you on netflix is kind of in that maybe in that world of like voyeurism and violence yeah and, you
2: know what then like i can't get into that show because i just like can't get past the fact that like you're in the point of view of the bad guy the whole time sure yeah um, sure and you know i think that something like sliver is like the character of carly is like intentionally naive but there there is still something that's a little bit more exciting about like not quite knowing what's
0: going on i yeah i do think just to that point i do think sharon stone is actually doing great work in this movie um, not, Me too, a, and it's, yeah, it's yeah, so different from basic instinct, Yeah, which is what say, which is why
1: it's, it's That's great. The most interesting. Yeah. It's so interesting how different I, it is. Yeah, it's true. Cause
0: obviously she's the best part of basic instinct. And I think she's the best part of this movie too. Just, yeah. Because of that juxt- juxtaposition and how she's able to kind of like, you know, completely pivot from what an audience is probably going to be expecting from it. But, um, I do think it's, it, she feels a skosh underwritten in a, in a, in a way that like, you know, you, you don't really know what her hangups are. You just know that she has them, um, in a way that right, I like Martin I, Landau kind of throwing away lines quickly. Right. Yeah. And, like, yeah. Yeah, and, and not, not I, you know, again, like, I don't know if you necessarily need that in sure. the movie, but it did, it did leave me questioning, like, she's got like image issues that, that baldwin has to kind of like work his way through and around and like awaken her sexually which is like a very Esther thing and i wasn't sure like where all that stuff was coming from in terms of like what was driving it um but i do think she works really well i don't know if she and baldwin have like the best chemistry i was curious to th- and I'm, I'm i'm curious if you know this karina like how many people did they get through before they got to Baldwin and Barringer? Because it does feel, not to put them down, but it does feel like two roles that were written for like four other actors before them, you know?
2: Yeah, I, I don't know like how many people were auditioned, but I as I said, like this movie w- came together very quickly. Right, right. Um, it was, you know, after Basic Instinct, Sharon Stone was reading a lot of scripts and like she turned this one down at first and then they were, you know – robert evans this was supposed to be his big comeback and mm-hmm. he you know really heavily like pursued her to make the movie and she finally agreed and by the time she finally agreed they basically had to go into production like two weeks later so um it, you know it's That's possible that you know not the the top shelf was available i know right. that she <laughs> had had it in her contract that she was supposed to have co-star approval and then they cast yeah. billy baldwin without consulting her interesting um, right and she was, that,
1: yeah she was not happy initially
2: was, right Well, she was. I don't think she was ever happy. I mean, she um, really (laughs) did not like working with him. Um, They did not get along well at all, Um, and in many other ways, the production of Sliver was quite chaotic. Um, But uh, with Barringer,
1: it's interesting because I think we think of him as like in this movie, like, "Oh, what's Barringer?" You know, what's now? Now you could watch this movie now and think what he does feel a little out of place. I would think sure. To watch it twenty years on, thirty years on, actually, but at the time, you know, he was the lead in Betrayed. He was in Someone to Watch Over Me, so he right. was in these movies. Yeah, he's like, kind of you know, he's he, he's in that pocket. Right, it was, yeah, and, a and even bit. I think even Shattered, he's in, isn't he? The Wolfgang Peterson movie. I mean, the, the, obviously, these are all different kind of you know thriller adjacent movies. They're not yeah. you know, all like sliver. But my point is, you know, they're they're of a piece in the sense of these were the type of movies that were getting made at the time you know, more so than now. So it made more sense. I'm sure it made more sense in 93. And I think, you know, Behringer's a really interesting actor. I think when you, I just, he's so, He's so off-putting in this movie, and I think it's such <laughs> an interesting kind of helps, choice. Though. Yeah, kind it's, of, a, yeah, it's yeah. an interesting choice where you're like, "Well, I don't like this guy." <laughs> like immediately, <laughs> you're like, uh, "I don't like this guy well, at and all." It's, you I,
0: know? I, it's like, my wife and I were watching it together, and we were kind of saying that like he, I feel like, and again, I'm not putting down Behringer, but it almost feels like it was written for someone more like objectively desirable, like because he's so sort of like. He's just like such a dick That like so a, there's, She's there's a this, strange guy Yeah right and in they're the kind movie. of like how, 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 how would she find you appealing Like it feels like it should have been like A Richard Gere or somebody like that Like Like just somebody who. Oh, but that would just be stacking the deck against Billy Baldwin. (laughs) Sure, no, a thousand percent. I guess my point is-
1: Gear was too busy making intersection, right? Wasn't that 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 (laughs) also Sharon Stone? Yeah, 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 right, Sharon Stone. So that's
0: probably what it is. But it just, I guess, my point is, is like if it's someone like a Gear. He can at least come out of the gate and be a little bit of an asshole. And at the very least, you're like, well, he is really handsome, though, right? Like there's at least like
2: guys like when I first saw this movie, when I was barely a teenager, I agreed to like, who is this creepy old guy? Yeah. But watching it as a woman in my 40s, like, I mean, I I would not, you know, I would not be so upset if I if. A, if, Tom a Tom Berenger hit like So I think that it's important that the the two men are really really different from one yes, another. Sure, that's and, a good. And um, you know, like one of them is a little bit older than her, is like a type of guy who she's encountered before in mm-hmm. publishing, like a guy right, who drinks right. drinks too much and is arrogant and is sort of negging her constantly. And then when she meets Billy Baldwin, it's a completely different kind of guy. He's younger. He's into like video games and techno music and <laughs> wants to go to the gym and Wait, Connor, is a, what's like the line, most,
0: the most so I, I laughed make, out I loud. Make the most video convincing, games yeah, the most convincing anyone has ever been at their perf- and granted he's lying about it. So I guess in the context yeah. of the movie it works fine. But he's like, I make computer video games. And you're like, I, yeah. do, I do I will say one of
1: my without a doubt, my favorite part of this movie and, and a lot of movies like this. And you know, Disclosure is another great like example of what I'm about to say, which is a Michael that Michael Douglas film with Demi Moore for, just for the listeners. Um, um Technology, like the way technology is portrayed, which obviously is, you know, at the time cutting edge and, you know, great. But to watch it, that's, there's such a joy in that, right? Where he's saying, he's like, she asks him, right? Do you record? all of these feeds, and he's like yeah and i'm like no you don't because if you did that there would be a store there you would have to have, You'd have a vault yeah. long island city would be the size you would need for all the tapes of like yeah every room in this skyscraper 24 hours a day it's like bro this is way before the terabyte there is no way you're you're not writing over all those tapes maybe maybe that's what he's like but anyway all right so sliver very interesting movie Um kind of hard not to recommend to all of these points right even if it didn't maybe doesn't work for me quite quite as much as uh, Karina it works for you what have you like
0: it's hard, hard to deny it right it's such a time capsule I would it's definitely so recommend it as a movie of like if you've gotten through the hits and you're still you want something to like scratch yeah. that itch I think it's de- I would definitely recommend it on that like um, nah.
1: no yeah and I think yeah of course you know now quickly so that same year only a few months later, a movie kind of putters into theaters, right? And I think kind of famously so, or maybe not so famously now, but Boxing Helena, our second film, is a, a movie written and directed by Jennifer Lynch, who's David Lynch's daughter, who um, you know, directs to this day. She she did not direct for for, for about a decade and a half after this film yeah. came out. Um uh, she did come back with a film called Surveillance in 08, which I did watch, um, just because I had always been curious to watch it. A very, um, I will say, a very twisty, s- cynical movie that that Surveillance. I will say, <laughs> almost not unlike Boxing Helena. Like um, Jennifer Lynch, it, it, I I really admire like she, the way she tries to dig into the. The like the nastiness of of human psychosis is, is kind of a very, uh, it's like I'm, I, 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 I was exhausted watching her movies and in a way where I was fascinated by it because I was like, wow, to like spend so much time really like getting into the nitty gritty of you know obsession and whatnot. But anyway, um, Boxing Helena, quick, 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 quick plot synopsis here is um, Julian Sands plays a world-renowned, like a very famous uh, uh, Atlanta surgeon who is is um, high in demand, what have you, and he's having a drink at a bar with his best friend, Art Garfunkel, which, what a treat. <laughs> what an absolute treat. And he spots a, a woman at the bar who is Sherilyn Fenn, who is the titular Helena. He His reaction is thrown out of the bar. He's very scared that she's even in his proximity. You soon realize This is someone he had a one-night stand with, what, a couple years ago, I think it is, and has basically been fighting his obsession with her um, ever since. And he is in the process of taking over ownership of his late mother's beautiful Atlanta house, right? And in the process, basically has a party just so that Helena can get invited. And... Um, is it it's Betsy Clark I believe is his kind of girlfriend and who he basically at the party leaves to be like Helena's here I have to focus on Helena long story short a lot of things happen that result in Helena being the victim of a hit and run and then um, Nick Cavanaugh who's Julian Sands uh, character's name his prisoner essentially in this beautiful big house he amputates her legs which he says is because of the accident um and the whole thing with the Sherilyn Fenn Helena character is she's very nasty right she's like very kind of using her you know um using uh uh, men's desire of her to kind of be very like you know taking control of every situation, being very honest. Bill Paxton is someone else she's having a relationship with and whatnot. And
0: she's very honest and she starts kind of, you know, I think, I think Paxton's kind of great in this movie. Yeah. It's an interesting he has performance.
2: Really important hair. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> and he, and um, pants and leather pants. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: He's doing a lot. The hair, it's a lot, a lot happening. Yeah. And so Sherilyn Fenn is basically becomes his captive. No longer has legs. Um, <laughs> We don't need to, I guess, spoil the whole movie because it is—it gets truly wild. I Insane. mean, if we get there, yeah. we can we can call it out. But but it's a lot of really interesting performances. Sherilyn Fenn is incredible in this film, and I think you know there's, the history of this film is even more kind of wild than the well, maybe not more wild, but it's equal in its kind of uh, all that happened to what happens in the film, and um, it's a it is a shame in the sense of kind of what Sherilyn Fenn's doing, that this movie kind of got dumped and is barely remembered now. And I do think, um, I came away with almost more questions than answers. And I almost (laughs) would love for Jennifer Lynch to kind of, I don't know, like, I want to know about intention, how she felt about the final product. I don't know. What do you, what do you think about this movie, Karina? I know, I know it's kind of part of the, the latter half of the season, but I, What's your thoughts on this? Well,
2: you know, this is a movie that I had heard about for many years before I ever saw it because of, as you were saying, like there was – um, there was a lawsuit against Kim Basinger who had agreed to be in it, and then she actually had to testify um, about why she dropped out. And um, she ha- had kind of a tempestuous life at that time anyway, but she lost the lawsuit and <laughs> I had to pay millions of dollars to the producers of this film. Yeah. Um, but I don't know where that money went because I don't think oh. it went into the movie. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just uh, – it's – you know there's a performance style to it that is very exaggerated and yeah. um i i actually don't really want to give much away about the movie but it has a feeling of like a very dark fairy tale yes yes um and you know um i the way that i'm going to kind of deal with it on the podcast is that i see a lot of the seeds of lost highway her father's movie in this interesting yeah. in terms of these themes about men controlling women um, and, like, the sort of great lengths that a compulsion to of a man to control a woman will take them to. Um, and it just is sort of like she's doing it in a more crude way and he does it in, you know, a masterful way. Um, but I still think that Boxing Kelena is is kind of fun. And I think that Julian Sands is actually really good in it.
0: I, I- – so I agree. I think they're doing really good work because I think to your point, there's a there's a heightened nature to everything that's going on, which does remind me, obviously, of of her father's work to a degree. And I don't want to. Well, sh- we
1: should say that you know there was a reluctance to cast Sharon Finn because of the Twin Peaks connection. That obviously she she ends up being in it. But I mean, that's that's what is that probably just ending, right? Is it firewalk with Me is probably. Just in theaters Or around the same time So it's very much In the immediate Aftermath of that And it even kind of
0: I guess one of the Slight issues I took With the movie Is it does look a little To to your point Karina About like who knows Where the money went Like it does look A little TV-ish And maybe that just speaks Maybe that more so speaks To like how well Twin Peaks is shot I guess But like some of it Just in terms of the way That it's lit The way that it's framed Felt a lot uh, Like TV to me but which which was like the main issue that I took with it, but
2: yeah, the... I mean, for for me, it's like I also sometimes in my head I transpose elements of Boxing Helena with another Sharon, Sherilyn Fenn movie called Um, uh, Two Moon Junction, directed by Zalman King, who is the Red Shoe Diaries guy. Oh, okay, and oh, there's sure. like there's an aspect of Boxing Helena where it sort of feels like a really elaborate you know, two hour episode of Red Shoe Diaries. Yeah,
0: there's a there's I think (laughs) and this comes, you know, as Dan mentioned earlier, like this, this whole decade is kind of the steady decline into into the end of this, you know, subgenre to a degree. And this movie does feel like an explicit crossover between like the aesthetics of softcore porn and a movie. Right. Like there's something really like 90s, Cinemax or Showtimey about it. Um especially in one sequence with Julian Sands in the middle of the movie. But um yeah, I think I think people are kind of acting their way uh at, like out of or around this movie <laughs> a little bit. And in a way that I think it's misjudged, you know, like I, th- I think a lot of these kinds of movies are getting reclaimed to a certain degree because I think we have a a slight more awareness now of things like just the intentionality of camp and things like that, you know, as opposed to taking things at face value that I think maybe, you know, certain critics in the nineties didn't necessarily latch onto. Um, But there's like a slight, like, um, I don't know. I, and again, I don't, I'm trying to talk around this without spoiling the ending, but I do think the ending kind of ruins the movie for me because I think if the movie sticks to its guns a little bit, it's probably a little bit better. Um, if it, if it really kind of follows its, uh, its conceit all the way through. Right.
1: I mean, I I didn't, it didn't ruin it for me only because we're, you, you know, it's all heightened and it's all, you know, there's kind of a gauze over it, which I think, you know with so when you get to where you get I think it's just kind of like okay, well, all right. I mean, it could be that it could be anything else, right? I think that you know the journey is more important, you know, than the destination for this sure. movie. Like, and I think Sands, and you're right, you guys are right. Sands is, it's one of those performances I like so it admire. Heavily, it was
0: like heavily ridiculed at the time. We should well, say but, right, like his okay, performance. That's, yeah. Ed
1: Harris was one Ed Harris was another actor who was going to be in the Kim Basinger version, who then had to drop out um, when it kind of just kept you know, kept getting pushed down the road, right? So he was going to be the Julian
0: Sands character. I would have which loved, is just I would have, have loved. About. <laughs> I would have, but at, that's, because he's yeah. so, Julian Sands is like just the most like, right. I mean, obviously the genre, part of the, you know, the tropes of the genre are insecure men, right? But like, Julian Sands is just the most like debilitatingly insecure man I think I've ever seen in one of these movies. Well, but it's funny he you leans think about into it. Yeah. it so hard in a way that to me yeah. is like impressive, kind of. Well,
1: and you have like Michael Douglas, right? in In his films, being a man who's being kind of you know, in his own way, you know, undermined what have you. But Michael Douglas, the actor, is kind of so obviously trying to fight against that, and I think. That does allow for some really interesting exchanges in films like Basic Instinct. And, and I think it ultimately does work in some way. But what I like about what Julian Sands is doing is he's really kind of diving headfirst into that kind of emasculation and what does that mean and kind of the ins and outs of that. And of course in the 90s, that's gonna get ridiculed, right? And I think there's something to kind of there's a deeper thing there that can be investigated. But um yeah, now to watch it now, it's it seems very kind of, yeah, it's just it's a very he, he's a very interesting actor and I think that's just something now watching it you're like oh my goodness this is what how brave to, yeah. to I mean I just uh, how many actors would have really gone that there you know at that time and I think kind of bravo that he was you know willing to kind of go down go, you know go down that path as it were um but unfortunately you know a, as a whole it doesn't really hold together i think you know it's an interesting debut for sure i think surveillance 15 years later it, as a as a a piece of filmmaking um it's a little bit more cohesive and like just aesthetically it holds together i think a little bit better um but like i said it's, it's in its own right kind of a very abrasive film and um and certainly one you won't forget so that's you know like a get tacit recommendation for surveillance but um I guess what else is there to say about Boxing
0: Elena before we kind of it's a it's know, a tough to... it's a tough movie to track down. Um, yeah, it is. It I, is. I think just because of its reputation, it probably you know I'm sure the powers that be didn't think it was worth to uh, you know license for streaming things like that. But um, but if you can get your hands on it again, same way with Sliver. Like I think if you're churning through these kinds of movies and you're really kind of hungry for them, it's definitely it's definitely got some like fascinating things to, uh, to snack on. I, I will say really quickly before we move on from it, Ar- Ar- art Garfunkel's presence in this movie, I find fascinating because I do like that. He like randomly in his relatively short film career, or I should say sparse film career. Like he just like popped up in like random erotic thrillers. Um, yeah
2: it's like all weird sex movies
0: yeah, it's final
2: exactly. knowledge bad, <laughs> yeah, timing, bad timing Yeah,
0: yeah. timing yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah fascinating little things so maybe one day we'll do like a, an episode oh, oh, on, you're
1: saying you want to do a Garfunkel yeah we'll do <laughs> a Garfunkel you know yeah maybe uh, <laughs> an and and art piece. will be just be those um, three
0: movies
1: okay yeah sounds good to me we'll just call them they'll just be sides cause yes. cause that's just, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, that's, yeah. that's yeah. his yeah, career no. uh, I just think it's fascinating but anyway now Karina you brought up Sherr Lansing when we were talking about Sliver so I think just as we go on to Jade as we kind of begin to finish up here. I think what's interesting is I was reading a little bit about, you know, so Jade is 95, William Freakin. Freakin is married to Sherry Lansing at the time. And Jade is a very sought-after um, you know, Esther House script, right? And I think I was reading this interesting piece when I was kind of doing some research for this, uh, you know, for for this chat, where Freakin got a lot of shit for getting Jade, right? Because it was like it well, was, um, Esther Haas
2: gave him some of it.
1: <laughs> right, 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 right. Where it was like, where it was like, oh, okay, Sherry Lansing is just gonna hire her husband who hasn't made a hit in 15 years, to like, you know, or even probably longer, really, like 20 years, to make to make uh to make this hot new property. And so that was, it was interesting to read that, right? Cause he's coming off Blue Chips, which was, you know, not a hit, relatively well reviewed, has has aged pretty well I would say but certainly yeah it, it felt like favoritism which is interesting just to kind of contextualize and then what I what I like is then Freakin' basically admits to being like yeah I just rewrote the whole script and uh, I just and then what I like is when you watch the mo- movie it literally feels like the natural end to this type of movie because every single possible thing that could be in one of these movies is just in Jade <laughs> and, like, and then you just get to the end of it and you're like Okay, I guess it, have we covered it all? I guess this is it. I guess we're done
0: with the, this type of movie. Like, doesn't this movie feel a little Jade? I, I do, doesn't yeah, Jade? Uh, David um,
1: Caruso, Just quickly, David Caruso, Linda Fiorentino, right? Chaz Palminteri, um are the
0: stars, right? Just to kind of give yeah, yeah, you yeah, the yeah. ninety-five of it all, right, from that. Uh, from that. Moment. And uh, Caruso is a um, he's an assist, ADA. Yeah, he's DA, a San assistant district attorney in San Francisco. Um, we are not going to do the whole plot for jade no, not no, no, time. no 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 but he's, it's, he's it's basically investigating movie. the murder of this well like well-known businessman right uh and there may or may not be a sex worker involved named jade yeah. uh chas palmentary and linda fiorentino are like friends of his he used to have a relationship with linda fiorentino they yeah. also kind of get involved as she becomes a suspect that's basically the movie in a Lunch.
1: And this is yeah. right. You know, Fiorentino, obviously, you know, Last Seduction, which I know, obviously, Karina, you cover, you know, obviously uh, one of the best of these types of movies, I'd argue. Um, and that comes out the year before this and kind of was a famous... Um, a weird movie, right? Because she doesn't. She's not eligible. For, I'm. I, I'm remembering this, right? She's not eligible for the Oscar because they premiered it on HBO, right? Was isn't that what yeah. happened? Yeah. Yeah. Um. So that's just Last Seduction, uh, its own kind of very interesting. You know, John Dahl directed it uh, movie. But anyway, uh, Karina, what what do we what do you think about Jade? <laughs>
2: So, you know, Jade and Showgirls came out three weeks apart. Oh, uh, they're my both God. Written by what a, what a and, time um, to
0: be alive.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: So, Showgirls got, you know, th- some of the worst reviews a movie has ever gotten. And then Jade comes out three weeks later, written by the same guy. And. You know, the reviews were kind of like, you know, we told you about showgirls and now there's this and he's still overpaid and he's still fad and we still hate him. Um, (laughs) I mean, that's that's what the reviews were. Like, a lot of the reviews were like attacking his, like the way he looked. And I don't have a lot of empathy for Joe Esterhaas, but like, people were not reviewing the movie necessarily that said i think jade is not very good (laughs) um it's i think it's really kind of a mess you know i don't i haven't seen esther haas's script so i don't know exactly what fried can change i will say the the ending feels very esther haas but apparently he hated it and was really pissed off Hmm. by it um but i just think it's it's not only is it kind of incoherent, but it's just very boring. and it's yeah. frustrating because there could be something really interesting there. There is this sort of like Michael Mann thing of these two men who are professional yeah. on like opposite sides of the justice system professionally. Yeah. and they both love the same woman and they've both had sex with her. And she you know, there is something there about this sort of like belle du jour thing of of this unhappy woman, like, um, turning to sex work like sort of as revenge against her husband sort of as like a path to liberation but the movie doesn't explore any of this stuff like it's just kind of a boring
0: police procedural in the end and it's weirdly prudish about the way like just for an erotic thriller like every it just feels like everyone else in this movie that's not linda fiorentino has like only fucked in missionary is like the way that it feels kind of. And sorry to be vulgar, that's, but that's, like, no, no, that it is, is just how the movie yeah. comes off a little bit. Like, I mean, there is the now, na- you know, the me- very memeable, like, it's a fuck house scene, right? Where it's like, I don't know, they
2: because there's caviar in the fridge, right? There's what I love, Crucial
0: leaning next to that mini fridge, and he says despondent, not unlike
1: like Billy Baldwin that everybody has a yeah. telescope. He says it with this, like, very, like, everyone knows what know, a fuck house is, yeah, you <laughs> yeah. got. All get it. We've all been to a house, yeah. you guys get it. He, he's like, he says, fuck, just for fuck the fuck record, he They're said, like... he
0: opens the fridge, he says, Cristal, Beluga caviar, <laughs> Wolfgang Puck. It's a house, and like the Wolfgang Puck that's in there is like a frozen pizza, too. Yeah. It's like a, um... accessible to anyone with six dollars, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, oh, no, but it. I just said, like in that sequence alone, like, like, there's a sex pillow, and there's like A dildo in the drawer, and in just a way that you're kind of like, Yeah, I don't know. Normal people have those things too. Like, it's like a very weird, like, you okay, William Friedkin? Like, what's going on (laughs) in your head? Like,
2: I mean, that's the thing is like, we have no idea really, like, what how to separate out what is Esterhaas and what is Friedkin, and like, kind of what went wrong. You know, obviously, the Chinatown car chase is Friedkin.
1: Yes.
0: Yeah. but yeah,
1: like somebody dared him to make the slowest car, ch- <laughs> you
0: know. I think it's an yeah. interesting
1: attempt by free to his credit.
0: Of- there is one moment where he sends David Caruso's car like 50, 50 feet in the air. That I kind of was like, Oh,
1: it's funny that Macquarie could did it. Macquarie does it again five years later in the way of the gun, where they do like these, like, let's, the car let's just slow move down the cars. car chase, which yeah, I think yeah. it, neither work, but it's interesting attempts i suppose and um we should say robert evans also produced this film right so this is kind of yeah. all leading up to the saint being kind of like obviously way different movie but the, that kind of being you know the ending of the comeback yeah. that never was if, if I mean, you will He had a
2: three picture deal at paramount and those are the three pictures yeah wow. <laughs> look at the
1: saint i have a deep soft spot for the Saint, but it's like none of these movies are you know overly successful i mean jade is a is a fiasco, right? In yeah. terms of the the the, the bottom yeah. line, but
2: I mean, you know, Jade has this. I you're just a good track backtrack to talking about it being kind of prudish. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially you know in in reference or in relevance to the what i was saying about sliver having trouble with the mpaa because it wasn't all missionary sex and also in basic instinct part of what had to be cut out to get the r rating was oral sex mm-hmm. on sharon stone's character you know jade has this iconic poster where it's like that and that was actually written about like in the la times where it looks like she is sort of somebody's going down I mean, on a her good, and it's it's a know. good poster yeah. yeah and so it's like it sets up kind of an expectation that this is going to be a movie about like a woman's sexual pleasure and it isn't at all. But then it is like, I mean, they definitely are just keep saying like, Jade will do anything. And then you don't really see her do much. Right. I it's, know. It, I
1: and know. Not, I
0: guess not that you need, like again, like it's But a, it's a
1: bummer because Fiorentino it, is such a fascinating actress and she is really sidelined in this movie where like- For being the of character. With my, like, when I was watching it with- with Kelly, my wife Kelly, we, she, she kind of said she's like she's not like in a lot of the movie, and I was like, I know, and you know, it's kind of like mm-hmm. it's really about. Well, you said, Karina, it's really about the two men, and you know, there's there's kind of a Michael Mann esque thing going on. I do but like it'd probably the Andre... be more
0: erotic if Michael Mann I, directed it. I do, oh absolutely. <laughs> I, do. I mean, you know, oh, this sure. is the yeah. same
2: year as as Heat, right? Yeah, and yeah, like yeah. when you think about like, I mean, that's a movie where you know ultimately like a man chooses like like his criminal life over like being able to escape with a woman. Yeah. And like, it's sort of the flip side in this movie where it's like David Caruso, like could like be having this hot affair with Linda Fiorentino, but instead he's like, I'm a cop. Yeah. 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 I know you did it.
1: Yeah. And Caruso, we should just say, I mean, this is well-tread territory, but he, this is the movie he leaves NYPD blue for. Right. And I think, you know, he shoot, cause I think he shoots the remake of, um, what's the movie? covered it. Kiss, Kiss of, of death. death. He yeah. shot very that while he was doing it he NYPD was doing Blue, NYPD and Blue. then he
2: very famously like left NYPD Blue so he could make Jade and yeah. became a huge laughing stock over it.
1: Yeah, and it's just and it's weird because this character is so different from John Kelly, but also not. And it's and I, it, it's one of those weird things where it's like. His performance that first season of NYPD Blue is one of, I think, the great TV performances. Like, I, I rewatched that during quarantine, and I was kind of—I I was reminded, like, what a spark plug he is in, mm. on that show. And then to watch him here really be muted— in a different way and like there's not a lot of pa- i mean there is quote-unquote passion but really it doesn't play and like him and paul mentieri don't really have a good kind of friend chemish- yeah. chemistry chemistry yeah. and, and you know michael bean it's the class you know bean doesn't speak highly of this movie and it's like kind of a wasted you know weirdo bean performance which is a shame two years after tombstone right it's like there's a lot of just sad you know you get some you know, creepy Richard Crenna that's kind of not really utilized, you know, Andre Bartoyak doing his kind of 80s action aesthetic. I do f- think for generally it does thing. look great. Yeah. It looks like, interesting. He, it's I an think, interesting looking I movie. I think
0: yeah. as particularly in the interiors of this movie, he moves the camera around. And I think that just speaks to like both this and Basic Instinct, you know there's something to be said when these movies get directed by like amazing filmmakers, you know, and, and, well, and
1: Yon de Bont, right. Yeah, that was one of his yeah. last movies he shot was, was basic instinct, which is interesting. And yeah, I just, it's a bummer, right? Like, and I feel like I rewatched, I, I put it on kind of with that thought of like, you know, there must be something here. And I kind of came away being like, yeah, no, it, it really is a mishmash and it doesn't really work. And obviously, you know, it, you know, it was cursed by its timing as well as everything else. But, um,
2: it's also just really disappointing if you watch it after having recently seen The Last Seduction. Sure, In yeah. that way, you can kind of recreate Linda Fiorentino's 94 to 95, where it's like she – she'd been around and then she has this big comeback with The Last Seduction and everybody's like, you were robbed for the Best Actress nomination and, you know, she's like the toast of the town and then she makes this and it's like, not only is it a failure critically and commercially, but it's obviously like an artistic failure, you know, she doesn't get a chance to do anything nearly as interesting as she did in this last film and then from then it's like Dogma Men in Black and then kind of back to straight to video for a while and then she's gone.
1: Yeah, it's a her career is such a uh, I know it's, and it's like, you know, the only other one that was, uh, was kind of a high profile thing in the late nineties was that Paul Newman movie where the money is, mm-hmm. which is yeah. kind of an interesting, eh, interesting is a strong word, but it's like a fun <laughs> lark of a movie, right? It's like not nobody's fool. I don't know. Um, but, but, um, uh, yeah, just poor Jade, you know, what do you, not poor Jade, but poor us, you know, about Jade, I suppose is the better thing. It's like I always say, some fantasies go too far, you know what I mean. That's yeah. just the famous uh, tagline <laughs> from Jade. Um, so Karina, I, we we don't want to keep you too long, um, but we want to kind of end where we began. Erotic '90s is is what you all listening will be listening to very soon. Is there any kind of? I will let me just say as we come to the end, uh, you you do a deep dive on Pretty Woman early on in the season. That is great, and I really Thank think you. is like I, I was. I I, I plan to watch Pretty Woman tonight because I was kind of like, yeah, you know, wow, what a miracle <laughs> of a movie that is. Because you really kind of touch on the cheat codes of that movie and how it works in a way that I would, you know it in your head, but to hear you articulate it, you're like, yeah, wow. And I just think it's in all the context of, you know, 3000, the, the original script and the Disney, you know, movie of it all. And, and, um. And so, yeah, there's plenty of great stuff in there. Um, and 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 we really appreciate you taking the time to come talk to us about some of these lesser kind of seen scene uh, you know movies of that ilk.
0: Cool. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Karina. We really appreciate it. And you out there, listener, can follow you must remember this at remember this pod on Twitter. If you like what you've heard here, you can follow this podcast at TFSB side on Twitter, Facebook, and Letterboxd. Please do rate, review, and subscribe wherever you are listening. We appreciate it very much. Be sure to catch the new season on Erotic 90s of You Must Remember This with Karina Longworth. Uh, That airs March 28th, and then will come out every Tuesday after that. Uh, So take take a look for those episodes. There's some really great stuff in there. As Dan mentioned, we had the privilege to kind of listen to a few of them already. So uh, be on the lookout for that. Uh, As far as the B-side is concerned, we'll have some upcoming episodes uh, on Sandra Bullock as well as uh, Billy Bob Thornton and Russell Crowe, so some fun stuff coming your way as far as more B-sides, and if you're ever watching an erotic thriller and you just don't know quite what you're looking at, just know that if there's bad dialogue, twisty plots, queer blondes, it's an Esther House. And now you're to the B-side.